is a world where you can invest into watches, NFTs of watches, instead of getting the physical watch, the NFT of the watch. Buy a watch to like own digitally. So the way that you buy stocks or you buy ownership of gold and silver as securities, there's so many deeper, cooler products that can get created when there's digital ownership of watches. It's like staking. Once that watch goes into a vault, now there's an equal amount of cash on chain that's available. You can do whatever you want with that. But yeah, Jake, before we went live, I was saying uh, you put in the work, man. You're down there in Miami. You got your company, Watches.io. And you said that you're one of the few people down there that put in 12, 13, 14 hour days. I thought Miami, they're all grinding, bro. What, what's going on? What do you mean by that? You mean you got the split, you know, you have you have the demographic that wakes up, goes to the beach, stays out late, want a hotel for some drinks. But then you definitely have a community that uh, that puts in the shift, you know, but it's definitely evolved, you know, over the last couple of years, a lot of people have moved to Miami for the opportunities, moved startups or other businesses. And I think uh, the culture is definitely getting better. From? Based down here. Grew up, everything. Oh, you're an OG, Miami. Born in London, but that doesn't, uh, you know, I, I don't know the accent, so there's not much to show for it. Yeah, I would not have guessed Miami either. That's interesting. What's your family background? Is it like military or something or? Now, parents grew up in Detroit. They, uh, they moved to Europe. They were working in advertising in Madrid and then London, up newlyweds, and, and they had me. And then we, uh, we moved to Miami uh, in 1996. So it was, you know, a year after I was born. And then I was just raised here. Sneaking into all those youth clubs when I was 15, got it out of my system early. <laughs> That's how you're able to work there. Okay, so you've already you've already lived the South Beach Miami lifestyle. That was yeah. We were all the things you shouldn't do, like in tenth grade, you know. So nowadays, you have people that are you know coming to town, and say, "Oh, let's go to this nightclub. We're gonna do this." It's like I already lived that life, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. I uh, in previous ventures had an office right there in the middle of um, Brickle, and cool. I saw the so the first time I ever went to Miami was back in like. The college days, you and the friends drove down. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. So you drive down because, you know, you're not going to pay for a plane ticket and you're just roughing it, right? Like you and the boys scramble some money together and uh, having the time of your life, like partying up in South Beach, especially if you're from Columbus, whole different world. Yeah. But then seeing evolve from, right, 2020 to now. Holy shit. I mean, Brickell was, Brickell was like a, the downtown area was, no one really went down there. Now it's just bloated. I mean, many other areas yeah. do, but it's a different world down there. And there's a rendering that was going viral on Instagram like a week ago with all the new skyscrapers that they're building. Um, you're not going to be able to recognize Brickle in like a decade from now. Oh, it's crazy. And similar to, to what you just mentioned, you know, I, uh, I've been coming into Brickle. Like I had an internship here in 2014. My dad used to work on Brickle Key ever since I was in fourth grade. And it's like totally evolved, you know, like the building that he worked at in Brickle Key has been knocked down and now it has like, you know, those like floor to ceiling, like windows that are mirrors on the outside, like super shiny. It's the place is becoming like a baby Dubai, you know? Yeah, that's the next step I'm noticing. People that are like in Miami living a flashy lifestyle, all the crazy stuff to do. It's just not enough for some people, right? Uh, or, or maybe I'm thinking about it half the wrong way. But then I'm seeing a lot of them now go to to Dubai, right? Next. I love going out there. Um, 
the people, the business opportunities, networking, it's it's the best. Well, let's talk about that because you have your company watches.io and by coincidence, you are arguably in the best place of America to be selling watches because tons of money has flooded down there. Usually people that have nice watches usually are high income earners. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, man, to hear your your journey of uh, starting the company, where things are now and where you see things heading uh, in the business. Yeah, and I'm I'm super uh, future focused, so I'm excited to definitely drill into all of that. Because so my background is in accounting, believe it or not. I actually worked at PwC in New York City, kind of the tax group there. So kind of like, you know, always knew that that corporate route wasn't what was right, had that itch in my stomach. I joined a company uh, in Miami that was building its brand on Instagram at the time. And this was like the early days of Instagram, you know, like Shopify was like just getting started. All this social media marketing, SEO, conversion rate optimization hadn't really come to to life yet. And we we're just like pounding out the Instagram advertisements, selling our product on social media. And we built an entire company and our network and, and you know, customer base through Instagram. And the company uh, manufactured watch straps, like the bracelets that go instead of like the, the metal one, you get a rubber one. And basically where I saw an opportunity to get more closely involved was with the actual sales and the distribution, like reaching out to distributors in the GCC region. Hey, do you want to be our you know, supplier in Dubai? Do you want to supply Kuwait? Uh, jewelry stores, watch traders, you know, giving them products so that they can sell the watch straps. And, you know, the brand ended up becoming fairly large from that vertical. Then, just like a lot of people in the industry, or rather in, in crypto, it's the industry I'm referring to, just got like really into it out of nowhere, right? DeFi specifically in 2021, I was trading crypto. My first time ever was in 2016 or 17, I believe. And then, you know, kind of looked away from it, then came back in 2021. It's a DeFi and you got wrecked in 2016 is what you're saying. Like most people, then you're like, yeah, and I, was, I, was, I was young enough where it wasn't really like wreckage as much as it was a learning lesson. But um, <laughs> yeah, we can go in circles about that. But uh, then in 2021, uh, got really into it, right? Like, you know, started learning about staking, yield farming, on-chain lending, you know, like liquid staking, which was another crazy concept that I found to be really cool. And um, what you're saying, to, to cut you off a little bit here on that is it's unique ways to make income within digital assets, specifically cryptocurrency and or uh, I put in air quotes, you know, passive income through through uh, digital assets and cryptocurrency. Yeah, there's a lot of passive income to get made in the crypto space right now. Now it does come with a little bit of a learning curve at the moment. Yeah. If you can, if you can like, you know, master some of the topics and stay in the loop, like there's, there's a lot of money to be made without having to do much. So yeah, that, and then that turned into NFTs, right? Everybody knows how NFTs just blew up out of nowhere. And I was like, you know, so hooked to, to NFTs and I was noticing, you know, the gamification of NFT trading, the volume that was moving into it, the demographic that was moving into the volume of NFT trading, um, the actual like kinetic energy you're able to feel in Twitter, the Telegram groups, the Discords, like, you know, people were, were, were building their lives on these, on these platforms. That's where we all hang out these days. So I, uh, I'm also in all these watch trading groups on WhatsApp where dealers just sell watches like OTC, you know, Hey, 
Daytona, 40 grand. Who wants to buy it? Next listing, Richard Mill, 150. Who wants it? Like it, um, I just like, I saw the overlap. I was like, wow, these are like the same things. They have to come together. And then that's kind of what put the idea to my head. And then that's, you know, obviously there's a founder journey of a lot of like failure and sticking to it and iterating, whatever. But um, that's that's how it all got brought to life. So Watches.io is basically a platform where it's kind of like a universal price index tracker. Like you could look up any watch and our platform right now will tell you the value of said model and reference. What's cool and what I kind of went after with this application was, you know, there's a lot of websites online to buy watches. Watches can be sold anywhere. And there's a ton of jewelers and watch traders that do a really, really good job and have an incredible amount of trust that can never even compete with. But everybody's so focused on kind of like selling the sex where it's like this watch is beautiful or a lot of the UI on the watch marketplaces online feels more luxurious and clean. And, you know, it taps into like the emotional side of your decision making. I wanted to make a platform that felt totally data driven, like a modern financial application with a Robinhood, uh, E-Trade, Bloomberg Terminal, kind of, you know, taps into the other side of decision making, which is purely quantitative. You know, is this a good investment? Do I think it's a way to diversify store value, which aligns with the new trend of people, you know, buying Rolexes because they're investments or, you know, making a bunch of money and then saying, hey, now I'm going to buy an expensive watch because it holds value. It's not going to depreciate like, you know, some sort of designer bag or whatever would. And and yeah, that's kind of like our our go-to-market product. Um, it's evolving into something else, which we could go into, but that's kind of like the backstory. I love it, man. I love it. Because that's that's really what, coming back to like the NFTs, non-fungible tokens uh, that, you know, most people would just see a silly JPEG, like a, like, why am I spending X amount of money on this, this photo online that I save on my phone or computer, right? You and I both know there's way more to it with NFTs in terms of one, it could have been money laundering, two, it could have just been the benefits of it is one, it's just showing that you actually own something and the, the idea around it, or at least how I perceive it is tokenization. So like, if you want to join my coaching program, right? Hey, maybe buy the NFT and that shows that you're a part of this big community. Uh, and then that allows you to have your ticket to come to the event, the in-person event once a quarter or once a year. Or maybe that's how you get your season tickets if you go to the Dolphins game, uh, which won't be too long because you guys usually choke in the first round of the playoffs, which is totally fine. But <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, but it's it's showing uh, that you own this collectible and, and that's what you started to see when you were making money and around that environment in New York and Miami was one of the first things a, a guy does when they start making money or perceived money. You buy a Roly, baby. You buy a watch. Best. Yeah. Tokenization, man, like it's, uh, I mean, I'm pretty convinced blockchain is going to be like one of the biggest industries in the world. I know right now people are kind of like looking away, but there's like, you know, there's a clear need for infrastructure to get created for things to like work. You know, for example, if you want to buy an expensive electronic and you want to have like a digital twin or, you know, clothing, like people are spending so much money on branded clothing. And then you literally can see like a counterfeit get created that looks identical. Like I see people wearing Balenciaga t-shirts who on earth knows if it's real or fake. It's like, it's the same thing, but what can differentiate 
and what could bring people together. Wow, like that Balenciaga t-shirt, also had a digital twin. You tap it, boom, now you're able to see, oh, like I just got access to the Balenciaga event in Art Basel in December because I own this t-shirt. Or Balenciaga can shoot me a link that says, hey, you know, this sale is going on right now because you're an owner of our t-shirt. We can give you private access to the sale. Like, you know, that's something that from an authentication standpoint, blockchain can provide an incredible solution for it. And then, you know, tokenizations just like, you know, people also have this misunderstanding where they think for a blockchain to be important and to provide value, everybody has to use it, right? For example, like, you know, oh, XYZ blockchain, if there's like, if there's not a hundred million users on that blockchain, it's worthless. But where the real opportunity in blockchain lies for a lot of people without going down like the pure crypto nerd path and explaining this is in this subnet architecture that a lot of the layer twos are creating, like Avalanche, Optimism, where, for example, if you're a financial institution and you manage a bunch of people's money, like a BlackRock or, you know, one of these, these types of companies, they can create a chain exclusive to BlackRock and not a blockchain that people outside are able to access. And the benefit to it is like computing speeds, the, the servers, the transaction landing. It's like, you know, entirely controlled in their ecosystem. Other people can't get access to it. And it's just like a different way of doing, of doing business. You know, it's uh, it blockchain doesn't have to be so like public and decentralized the way people think. Um, but they're just, especially in the last run up in 2021, there just wasn't a lot of infrastructure. Like if it's layer two subnet that I'm explaining to you where BlockRock can own their own blockchain, theoretically, just didn't exist in 2021. So people are trading Avalanche, which is the, the L2 that supports this subnet. People are hyping it up. Oh, it's gonna be the future. Boom, 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 boom. Prices are going crazy. But like, what does the value of the token have to do if the tech is still two, three years out? You know, it's like, so it's just a little, it's, a, it's an interesting time. Well, I like that you say that because, um, one, I think that's also similar to like AI and artificial intelligence and that type of technology, which is, uh, like one of my buddies, he works for, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this. So we find the consequences of this, uh, like they use AI internally for different data sets to say that I, he didn't give me like any specific information or like what they're using it for. But it's like, oh, if they want to go to an executive meeting, quarterly meetings, they want to go, you know, executives need to look at numbers or they need to create something internally. They can use blockchain technology to see where all the transactions were. They can use AI to create different reports. So whether people want to believe in it or not, whether we tokenize every single real estate asset and show it's on the blockchain, it's tokenized, or this is how you raise capital to build those massive buildings in Miami, it's more of taking an even further look into, well, whether that happens or not in the entire real estate industry, maybe just this real estate firm uses it for internal reasons. And that's kind of the beauty of that, that technology. Now, coming back to your company, Watches.io, when I pulled it up, I was looking into it. That is something that I've personally experienced where uh, a friend of mine got me a watch and I took it in to get it adjusted. And it was a fake watch. So that was unique. That was that was uh, a unique experience to say the least. Yeah, that's that's gotta be a what what was that like? Uh 
that that's a conversation for another day. It was just, it right. was unique. Right. But is that something that has, cause I see that being good, but also kind of bad to the marketplaces as far as what you created, you basically created, correct me if I'm wrong, like a universe appraisal company for watches to say, Hey, if you're going to go buy this Rolex, the industry standard of this, this price is $20,000. So the person in this Facebook group or this discord group trying to sell it to you for 30,000 to give you some bullshit runaround answer. Now, one, that could be perceived value. You should maybe go buy for 30K because that gives you happiness and you want to pay that much for it. But the data is here. It's like buying a house. It's like the three other houses that sold in the last month, they all sold for around this and it's pretty much an identical home. That's essentially what you built, right? Is a, a universe. This is an appraisal platform. Here's hypothetically what your watch is worth. Yeah, I mean, you 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 just nailed it on the head. You know, like if uh, if you were to go buy a house and you didn't have Zillow or the MLS to kind of like see comparables, you would never be able to know like what the price of that property really is worth. And you know, these days, luxury watches are you know becoming very expensive, and people look at them as a way to store their value. If I told you, hey, add up your watch or tell me your net worth. You're going to add up your watch collection and include that figure in the calculation. So you need to have some sort of way to be able to know like, oh, like, you know, that's the general value of that watch. Now, obviously, you know, the the liquidity in the watch market isn't as efficient as stocks, for example. It's probably, I would say, in line with the efficiency of the real estate market. Like you go to put a stock up for sale, it instantly sells. Where a watch, you know, you put it up for sale, you might have to move the price around a little bit, put it into, you know, there's a lot of arbitrage in the watch market because of the fragmentation that exists. You know, real estate, you have the MLS, like all properties go there. And uh, it's just how can we like work towards that, right? Like how can we make the watch market extremely liquid? How can we reduce fragmentation? And how can we, you know, really decrease the asymmetry in prices to the point where, you know, it, it's it's pretty well understood what the value of a watch really is. And, you know, our platform and what we do is basically, you know, to not go down the AI and machine learning route, we use a lot of like really, really cool technology. Um, and we we also bring in an incredible amount of data. Now, what's a bunch of data that doesn't get cleaned and sorted and organized? It's worthless. So we turn that data into information and that information that we give our users is like super clean on the front end. Like the platform feels like Robinhood. If you use it, you don't have to know a single thing about Web3. You don't have to be a crypto person. You don't have to be some like AI technology expert. It's it's a UI that looks familiar. You can just see like, oh, like, you know, said Rolex model 126610 is worth 16,340. And, you know, that's that's like a figure. Now, if you go and you Google the watch, You'll probably see it for like it's sixteen three on our platform. You'll see ones for like sixteen eight, others for sixteen one. You'll you'll see a range that they're valuable that, that they're um available at. Maybe a dealer can say, "Hey, I can give it to you for 15. But uh, you know, the general concept there is like, you know, if you're paying twenty seven thousand dollars for that watch, something's wrong. Pretty well. That's that's kind of part of my my question too. Have you gotten some hate from uh, dealers and people just talking? Some, I mean, people like to talk smack no matter what. If yeah, we we don't need to go there. But have you gotten some hate with this from you know large companies and and people in the space? So, what we are probably referring to is that 
dealers could be concerned that there's less opportunity, let's just say, for them to make a spread. And where where I briefly provide, you know, a response on is right now what we provide our users is a market value. There's there's three there's three values that are really important in understanding what a watch is worth. And they it depends on who you are and what you're in it for. The first is the market value. If you were to take a watch and you were to put it onto the major marketplaces and it were to get sold, what can you hope to get in a perfect world, right? Like that's the market value, the fair value. Like what do it sell for in the open market? So if you were to put onto eBay, you know, Chrome 24 is a big one. What you would sell it for on those platforms, that's market value. It's usually what we like to call top dollar. Then there's a wholesale market. There's a, a lot of people that trade watches for a living. They they buy inventory, they sell it. You know, if they make $200, $1,500, $900, that's the business. Boom, 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 keep it moving. You know, that's that's the hustle. So what I like to say is that watch and the value that that would trade at is the wholesale range. So a market value watch of 15,000 in the wholesale range would trade like, you know, 13 to 14, let's just say. So those guys would buy it for 13, five, let's just say 13, five, sell it for 15. That's the wholesale range. And then there's one final value, which is the bottom cash value. This is if you are the owner of the watch, you've been wearing it and you're like, you know what? I got to get rid of it. I need to pay my rent, you know, or bills are due. And you go up to a jeweler and you say, hey, jeweler or Mr. Watch Trader, you know, buy it off of me right now. They might not have a seller lined up. They have to take inventory. And they're going to say, hey, you know what? I see I can sell it in the wholesale groups for 13 to 14. I know if I get lucky, I'll sell it for 15. I'll give you right now like 11,500. You know, that's the bottom cash value. They swoop it off your wrist. Now, the best watch traders and the people that make the most money in this industry are the ones that have the most, you know, bottom cash value guys coming to them saying, hey, buy this off my wrist. That's why social media is so important. If you have a, a brand on social media, people are going to hit you up. Hey, buy my watch, buy my watch. And they're bringing them all in at BCV, selling them on all these platforms to get top dollar. And uh, or you you can sell them, you know, at incredibly high amounts, of, like, you know, really quickly in WhatsApp groups and wholesale chats. But, you know, that's those are three values. So to go back into your question, why it's important we provide our users with market value. There's still an opportunity for a watch trader to get bottom cash value, wholesale value, and make money in that spread. We will be releasing in a short amount of time figures and a subscription where you will get access to what BCV and the wholesale range are. When that gets released, it's going to completely change the way people trade watches forever. Because now being a watch trader is not based off intuition. It's not based off of experience. Like I mentioned, it's purely data-driven. If you have the subscription and you are using our platform, you don't need to really guess as to what you should be buying watches at if you're going to stop them or trade them in a wholesale group. So theoretically, the market's going to become significantly more efficient from that. And theoretically, you will control and have, you will have the platform where a massive amount of the marketplace will likely do business in that subscription model? I think I think a lot of, we will have a marketplace where business will occur and people will use. And our marketplace is what we're building right now behind the scenes. And that in my opinion is bar none, the best piece of tech in this industry. 
But like, I do see a world where you're not going to be able to get in the way of, you know, for example, like you want to go buy a watch, you know, you've had a great, you know, quarter at work and you want to go to a jewelry store and try it on. And, you know, you've connected with a watch dealer on Instagram who's like really close with you that you trust a ton or you want to see it five watches on your wrist before you pick which one you buy. You can't get in the way of that, man. Putting a watch on your wrist and picking it out and loving it's a special experience. You'll never get in the way of. So, you know, I don't think we're going to like take over the entire world. Everybody's going to use us. But I do think we're going to introduce a product that's going to get picked up by the generation that doesn't care to do things IRL. People that are interested in just buying from the computer that like to do a ton of research before they invest. And that's that's the market that I think is uh, we're coming for. Yeah, I could see I'm bringing it back more like real estate terms again. It's like maybe not the first time home buyer, right? The first watch buyer that wants that experience of like you walk in, you put on wrist. It's like a whole thing. It's a whole experience, right? Really? Yeah, it's great. And then you have the like, all right, um, I hit these goals. I like, oh, I like like you would be fine just clicking a button and it arrives at your doorstep or you go pick it up at a local jeweler. But I could also see more like B2B right? Like the investors that are, yo, uh, I got this wholesale deal for this property. I know my buddy, he's an investor. Like I would knock the deal down, but I got too much going on. And this is kind of more his wheelhouse, you know, like investors in watches and, you know, essentially trading and, and then also the actual jewelers as well. Like I'm looking for this, all those platforms already, but hypothetically, if you could, again, hypothetically, not that you're saying that you're going to go knock all these people out of business. That's not the intention at all. I'm aware you're saying that, but it's like, oh, if we could actually put majority of it though in one spot, that would be great. Yeah. It's, uh, it, there's, there's a million places to buy a watch. You'll never be able to like, you know, monopolize this space now kind of to drill it back to what we're doing with this marketplace. So what we're also letting people do is trade for NFTs of watches on the platform in our marketplace. And we're letting you buy, um, instead of getting the physical watch, the NFT of the watch. So where this provides a lot of upside is number one, when you buy a watch online, you buy it to wear it. But right now we're going to allow you to just buy a watch to like own, you know, digitally. So the way that you buy stocks on E-Trade or you buy ownership of gold and silver as securities, you know, in, uh, in, in, in stock market platforms, like, we're letting people just own a claim ticket to a watch, right? Like it's a, uh, it's a lot more fluid. It's frictionless. For example, I can now buy a watch for seven thousand dollars. Let's just say, and I can sell it on the open market for seven thousand one hundred dollars, and I can do that ten times a day and make a thousand bucks. Whereas, for example, like right now, if I were to go buy a watch, I would have to wait three days because I guess it gets shipped. Then I need to, you know put it up for sale. I have to sell to somebody else. I have to take custody of that watch physically. I need to pay for insurance and shipping. It's like really expensive to move watches. It's not easy to do it um, like other assets, right? When you take away the physical component, now you can trade ownership in seconds. It's super fluid. And you can also get paid instantly. You know, when you sell a watch to somebody, you have to wire them. You have to wait a whole entire day for the wire to hit. The bank could stop it. And there's like you mentioned, the risk where you buy a watch online and it's fake and you get it and then you're listing it up. Next thing you know, it's trade ownership five times before somebody finds out it's a fake watch. 
our platform. We authenticate the watch. We vault it. We give you the NFT. You trade the NFT and goes back with what we're doing with the prices. You know, really, you know, the MLS, Zillow, these pricing indexes on properties. What's the value of pricing property? It's so that banks can provide notes. You could take out a loan against the value of the house or they can, you know, extend you the opportunity to live there while you pay for ownership of it. And what we're basically looking to create goes into like the financial application approach towards our platform is a world where you can invest into watches and you can also take out loans against them. How are you going to be able to execute taking out loans? Because we price the collateral with our debt. So you're going to be able to now have an NFT of a watch that's equal to a $30,000 watch that we know is worth $30,000. And you're going to be able to take out a loan for $21,000 against the value of that NFT. Give somebody else your NFT while they give you the liquidity against the value. And you've now created the debt market. Debt markets fuel equity markets. And then the person maybe buying the actual watch could borrow the money to get the watch from the person that's buying the NFT. Yeah, you could do, there's a lot of like situations where you can now find ways to like finance the watch. If like, if I wanted to go buy a watch and I'd. So there's, there's a couple ways. Number one is, and this is going to be coming in the future. For example, all right. Right now you see a Daytona for $40,000. Okay. The market value of that Daytona is 40,000 bucks. You literally buy that Daytona. You now own the Daytona for 40000 You just have an NFT of it, okay? You see that Bitcoin dropped, you know, 20% last night, okay? You say, you know what? I want to buy a Bitcoin. I'm going to take my NFT, lock it, and then the, lend the, the lender is going to give you $30,000. So now you have $30,000 cash. And Bitcoin, $30,000 in Bitcoin. A day later, Bitcoin shoots up 30%. And now your 30,000s turned into 35,000, right? You just made 5,000 bucks profit. You go back to the lender and you say, hey, lender, here's your $30,250 that I owe you. It was a little bit of interest. Give me my Daytona back. They give you the Daytona NFT back. You give them your 30,250. And now you're sitting with a Daytona and you're sitting with $4,750 in profit just from borrowing money against the value of that watch. Bang. Interesting. Interesting uh, model. And what are the objections to that? If the Bitcoin hits zero, they don't pay back the debt, they own the NFT, which is what authenticates that the ownership of the watch. How do you go collect? And so it's really interesting, right? So you you're the lender and you're holding on to this Daytona while the borrower has your thirty thousand dollars. The Daytona is worth forty thousand, right? The amount of money that you've given out is thirty because you're over collateralizing the loan, right? Collateral is worth more than the amount of money that's been given out. So you guys are going to do like fifty percent loan to value, similar to like crypto platforms, maybe up to sixty, seventy, eighty. Yeah, let's say sixty, seventy is the sweet spot. We are not the protocol that allows this. We actually have partners that ingest our data and partners that support our NFTs. So, but which is where I'm kind of going at with this. So it's really cool about the lending that takes place on the blockchain is lenders are able to pool their money together. So you're not totally exposed as one individual. So that $40,000 could actually be made up now 
of like 500 people all putting in, you know, 300 bucks. And all these people are filling the pool and they're saying, hey, you're going to actually get, you know, 12 to 14% interest and you're, you're going to get your prorated amount from the interest that's generated. And that's one of the, that's pool to peer lending where you, a pool supplies one peer the money. Another cool aspect on this, and this goes into what you're mentioning, which is, all right, the borrower basically takes their $30,000, buys freaking Shiba Inu, it becomes 300 grand. They're never going to return that, that money. They're keeping the 300 grand, keep the fucking Daytona, you know? So now you're stuck with the Daytona, a $40,000 Daytona NFT. There's two ways that you're able to now, you know, get even. You're able to put that Daytona NFT back up for sale on our marketplace. Our marketplace also is using a special smart contract where that NFT even goes on OpenSea. That NFT goes on all the other major NFT marketplaces. So it's available to anybody and everybody. Or so you could basically say, hey, we own the NFT of the watch. Watches I owe. Can you guys just give us the physical? We'll give you the NFT. We give the lender the physical watch, and then they can just go sell it IRL for cash and get made whole that way. What's really cool as well to keep going on it and like those pools, they don't. Yeah, I love it. Keep going. Yeah, they also a lot of these protocols that take that that do this. They this is their business, like letting people lock NFTs, getting money to fund borrowers. They actually will have auctions where the watches can get sold. And let's just say that $40,000 Daytona gets put up for auction and sells for 35,000 bucks, right? Like it goes a little below market, the auction gets sold. Now there's $35,000 in cash, right? The lender gets the $30,000, $31,000, that they're owed. Let's say it's a pool. It's a pool of people. They get their money back, so they're made whole. But then the extra spread on that loan can get sent back to the person who originally borrowed that was never able to pay back. So they can even get a little bit more than they'd ever be else be able to. So like, let's say you borrowed 30,000 bucks against a $40,000 Daytona, and you actually like only were able to supply $25,000 back because Bitcoin went down. And you pay back your lender said, hey, lender, I'm really sorry. I don't have $30,000 that you gave me. I only have 25. They said, dude, that's like not good. Um, we, I got to sell the watch. They sell the watch for 35000 The lender can now get the $30,000. The borrower can get the, the $5,000 spread that they lost for borrowing the money. And now everybody's made whole on the situation. Sorry, the lender gets a $5,000, the borrower gets a 25. So now you're 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 in the you're cleaned. So it's it's like a it's like a win-win situation in a pool to peer lending model. And just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, well like if they borrow the money and then you never hear from them again and they have the watch on their wrist like no 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 no, watches in the vault, NFT can only be issued if the watch is vaulted and stored oh. away. Oh. Yeah, so, you don't get both. Got it. Okay. Because you see where I was stuck? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah we'll destroy it. They <laughs> yeah, it's like you buy the watch, then you borrow I mean, money. You, you, you can do events 
and you could and you could also kind of like check somebody's credit score and you know like there's there's a world you could, yeah but I mean, you could technically like put them in collections and then you know blah blah but you ain't got to do that for 20 30 40 no you got to separate digital cost digital ownership and physical custody have to be separate if you want to create this yeah, because my concern, what immediately came to mind was very similar to what we saw with crypto mining, where we saw all these, all these lenders come out of nowhere that were uh, providing financing for these companies to expand their mining operations, right? They're mining, crypto skyrockets, they're just printing cash, right? Because they're just mining Bitcoin every day. Then they're borrowing at the top of the market at very conservative loan to value, 50%, but you and I both know that Bitcoin usually drops over 80% from, you know, bull to bear. And so now you're, you're net 30% of your collateral. So you're in the hole. Uh, and what are you going to do as a lender, right? You're going to go collect 3,000 trillion crypto miners. Then what? You're going to, and that also dropped in value. And what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to renegotiate the terms or you're going to extend the loan or, or you're both screwed. I don't know. Right. So that's kind of what we saw. And I was like, Hmm, this kind of reminds me of like, then what if people borrow the money and then they run with it and they got the lot and, but that makes sense. That makes sense. So and they're looking at it from an investment of, sorry to interrupt, but like to think of who, who would do this, right? Yo, Tyler, someone that would do this is somebody like yourself that is an investor mindset that likes this watch. So they're going to buy this Daytona for 30,000 with the potential anticipation of either one, that's just a store value. That's how they want to diversify their portfolio in a cool, unique way. Uh, and they can share how their clients can do it and we can sell a course around it, right? And be cool online. But in reality, it's a unique way to diversify your portfolio into collectibles such as watches or how people do an artwork and NFTs. But then they can borrow from that tax-free. And what would be sweet if the value of that watch, aka NFT, when they borrow from it, goes up in value. And they make money off that. They can pay back their loan. They make investments with the tax-free money. And they have the investment, the, the asset. Similar, again, to an investment property. Buy it, fix it up, refinance, get your money back. Kind of similar motto. And Yeah, there's so many cool opportunities that can arise. like. Even if you're a watch dealer that has a ton of client base that exists off crypto and line lending, borrowing, whatever, imagine if, you know, you had like half a million dollars and there's like 10 watches, $50,000 each, and you were just able to supply loans and get interest paid. And like, look, somebody's not going to pay the watch back on time, then you're just buying watches below wholesale. If they do, you just make passive revenue from interest. That's just, you know, you're lending out money, getting interest, getting paid. Now you're literally going to be creating a whole entire new business vertical for people to live off of. And it's, um, and there's, there's, and I, again, I don't want to go through all the crypto crazy stuff, but like there's so many deeper, cooler products that can get created when there's digital ownership of watches. It's like, it's like staking, right? Like once that watch goes into a vault, now there's an equal amount of cash on chain that's available. Like you can do whatever you want with that. You can, you 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 can uh, you could fractionalize that other people invest into these watches if you wanted to. You could say, hey, like I'm an NFT. You want to buy twenty percent of it? You can now take price data and you can start, you know, say, hey, there's a bunch of NFTs and watches getting traded. 
let's start gambling and creating perpetuals and future derivatives on what the future price of that Rolex model will be based off future transactions. But like there's um and that's to to stop you real quick, because what came to mind is what is the market cap right now in crypto? Uh, you know, give or take like nine hundred billion, a trillion at right around. Yeah, so we'll say one trillion, right? What's the give or take uh market cap for watches? I'll tough number to go about couple trillion, they say. The industry does $70 billion a year. And that's obviously a growing figure. So, you know. We'll say, we'll, we'll say the equivalent of crypto, one trillion. Yeah. This model right here alone, hypothetically, if everyone with the watch would, again, this is hypothetical. So. Yeah, Morgan Stanley backs up exactly what you're saying. They did article in 21, continue. Uh, boom. Crypto doubles in value because the market cap doubles. They say the demographic crossover, like for example, the watch market is primarily like X gender at X age group in these 10 countries. Okay. If crypto triples the demographic that is X age, X gender in the same 10 countries, like overlaps completely with the watch market, they anticipate in 2021 that another crypto bull run could almost triple the size of the watch market. Like imagine right now if like, 30 million people hit a million dollars in Bitcoin. What are they going to all want to buy a Rolex? Like you mentioned, it's, 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 uh, the crossover is just like way too there. And it's, uh, it's big, man. Like 33% of millennials these days aspire to own a luxury watch. And, you know, I think we can all attest to it. Like that, that, that number even feels somewhat low. Like, Everybody wants to own a watch. It's like culture these days. Fine. And everyone in your backyard, they don't want one. They want 10. Yeah. In my world, also, I'm super biased giving that answer. Somebody watching this is like, I think watches are a waste of money. You got some of my Midwest people up there. They're like, nah, that's fucking stupid. I'd buy some cows. You know? Yeah. You know? But I like cows too. Maybe you buy a Rolex for your cows. You said it with conviction. Yeah, yeah, you, I'm sold, man. Let's go. But dude, I'm like crazy. That's crazy. Hell of a job, number one, just creating what you've already created. But having that uh, understanding of, from, in a sense, creating like a whole brand new marketplace uh, and you understanding financial literacy and investing, obviously a very deep level as well to just calculate a risk and say, yeah. Yeah, like the space is going to become big, right? Like luxury lending, um, st- building, and you're starting to see it with sneakers and designer clothing, this concept of trading things you're passionate in, like bebbling good movement. Like, you know, nowadays, like I have friends that like trade Yeezys for a living. Like that's like a thing in 2024. Like you, you can literally buy and sell Givenchy hoodies and build a whole life out of it. Right. Like that's going to become a real, now a real niche going into the future as you know, the next generation comes into wealth. You know, the 55 and 65 year olds retire, the 15 year olds that are about to go into college in eight years, get in their first paycheck. Like this is going to become big. Right. And, you know, and this goes into like what I'm mentioning with what we're doing. It's like with all this, like, you know, insight that I have on the space, it's like real easy to copy the idea like, oh, put a watch in a vault. Well, what you can't copy is like the work ethic the homework and the true like neural connections that are formed when you spend your life 
dedicated to kind of figuring out this vertical in this space. There's there's so much that goes into having a complete and wholesome understanding of how on-chain luxury and borrowing and trading and digital ownership all kind of plays together. And what I'm really excited about is kind of like for the people that are watch collectors, for people that are crypto traders, for people that are passionate about passive income, abstracting all that complexity and delivering it in a product that's easy as fuck to use. Like now you're going to be able at your fingertips to just open up watches.io. You don't even have to remember the domain, super easy watches. And you can just say, oh, like, I want to buy some watches. Like I want to take out a loan against one. I want to, you know, just invest into a Daytona. Like I just hit a bunch of money in like, you know, some stupid shit coin. Like now I can just have ownership of, a, of the Rolex I've always wanted. I can sell it tomorrow. Like I'm not, something bad happens. It's like, just cool. And it's, it's like a new way of thinking about things. Yeah. And also too, like we just do everything digitally, right? Like we do everything on our phone and people are starting to, uh, you know, recognize that traditional ways as far as saving money, save putting money in a retirement account, even buying a house, right? Like that's becoming old news. And so, uh, not that those things are necessarily bad. It's just the reality of it. People make a lot of money trading. They make a lot of money through personal branding. And, and this is just modern times, right? Like having the street luxury brand clothes, Supreme and whatever the kids are wearing these days. I'm pretty simple, man. I like to keep it, uh, you know, Lululemon's boxing line. It's of course, of course. a rocking your own merch, right? So I'm, I'm all about that. Uh, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. But Ow. it's also the, the inverse of that. It's legitimately an investment, right? Like if you're wearing cool things, posting about it, like you're, you're attracting an audience that are following you and you're making money from that and the creator economy. And then a lot of times when people are making money on crypto on their phone, what a great way to make more money from your phone, right? Or a lot of times when people make money in the, the stock market, or they make money in crypto, what are they doing? Nine times out of 10, they're likely buying real estate and or collectibles. They're buying like, buying like hard real assets. Well, this is in a unique way buying that hard real asset. Worst case scenario at a wholesale price or better if it doesn't pan out or you can again do what you said, borrow against it and continue to make even more passive income from your assets, making assets or your assets, creating more income from other assets, rinse and repeat. It's a unique way for people to invest, unique way people for them to diversify is something that they are passionate about as well. Because being in the, the watch world, that's like a whole other level of uh, nuances when it comes to almost being like a cult in terms of how passionate people are. It's like cars, right? Like, you know, going to car clubs or whatever it is, it's very similar. Yeah. Social media, like kind of like summarizing what you said, like, like social media democratized opportunity for a lot of people. You know, before you needed to have the education, the college, you needed to have like, you know, the family money, like to, to, to do anything. But the last decade or so, it's been totally kind of like, hey, like, do you have willpower? Do you have conviction? Are you going to turn your passion into some sort of like business model? And if you have all three, you can do it. And the way I see it is like, you know, with that pool to peer concept or whatever it is, you know, you have like $100, but you sit on YouTube all day watching Rolex videos. Now you can find a way to turn that 100 into 200, 200 into 400, and you can work your way up and you can then 
you know, buy a course and learn the ins and outs of the trade. Like, um, you know, when you can create a product or a vertical that can enable people to turn a dollar into a million, that's like, that's like something profound. And social media is, you know, one piece of the puzzle. But what we're doing, what a bunch of other cool companies that I study in the space are doing, you know, like that's, um, that's deep. And that's what I see as like a big opportunity going into the future is, and it goes into this AI stuff. It goes into, you know, people building tools for podcasting. Like you could like, you know, just build a brand out of thin air by doing what we're doing right now. And it's, it's really cool uh, to see that there's now, you know, a gateway into, you know, the, the path to success. Yeah, we are lucky. Uh, we are definitely lucky because I've been watching some World War II documentaries and I'm like, yeah, fuck that, man. Some of our bloodline had to go do that shit when they're 28, 29. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I like I, uh, watches on a podcast. How about that? <laughs> so, we have, we, 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 I think we watch similar things at night too. <laughs> oh man, I knew I'd like to, Jake. What about other collectibles then? Like what about, uh, as I was saying, cars, I was like, wait, what if you could do this with cars? Dude, huge opportunity. Cars, um, you know, the designer clothing that we're talking about, sneakers, uh, diamonds, dude, skyscrapers, like. 10 years from now, you're going to be sitting on your computer trading ownership of skyscrapers. You know, fuck all the paperwork. It's just going to be like, click, click, click. Like, I just cop this property. Bam. Like, and there's, there's, there's incumbents that are definitely building these products out. Um, some stuff is a little bit more regulated, but, uh, yeah, man, like, go, it goes into to anything, any new idea. Like, you gotta, something's going to be successful. It depends on the people behind it. Like, my team and the people that I work with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of, seven i believe right like but the thing is if you were to talk to anybody else on my team they're all just as passionate about watches on chain as i am and we are going to create toolkits so that people can do this for other assets it's coming what but, I, you know our our passion and what we're really interested in fortunately and unfortunately is hyper fucking focused on watches but Kind of goes into it. Like if somebody's as passionate as I am about this industry, about vintage vehicles, about trading cards, sneakers, you know, like there's there's a lot of opportunity in this space. And this could be like a public shout out for somebody. Hey, like reach out to me. Like let's talk about it. Cause I would love to empower that person to kind of follow their dreams and make that happen for this, for this industry that they're so interested in. So then, yeah, and that's what I could see you helping with as well as people that know uh, let's say cars, right? Like or other collectibles where they uh, and I know you had, you had mentioned this, but I, I like that you did. It's like, Hey, someone can listen to this show and copy and at least think they can copy it, but it's just never going to be me. Like, a, you know, imitation is, is flattering. Right. But really what you're saying is one good luck, right? Like I like that, uh, confidence. I'm all about that. But two, you have to know watches and you have to know all the lingo you just said about crypto and peer to peer. And, and, you know, you have to understand uh, what is a healthy and not healthy loan to value because the market does this in a very volatile asset class and technically both and recession or whatever, like you've got to know more than just saying this watch is cool and, you know, crypto's the way, right? There's more nuances to it. Uh, and it's pretty freaking rare that people know both. Sure, you know how to trade crypto, this and that, and you go buy a watch, but you don't really know if the watch is worth 20 grand or 25, you don't care. Like you just buy the damn watch because you want it. You know, and I and I personally do not understand 
vehicles and cars whatsoever. Like I would be totally happy driving the same car for the next 15 years. Could be, you know, maybe a BMW or a Mercedes. I'm good, you know? Well, probably a Porsche. But again, like, I'm not having a car. I don't even have a car. I scoot around Brickle. Like what I'm getting at is, you know, you got to be wild to listening to Bad Bunny on that scooter. Is he still around down there? Dude, if I were to walk outside of this office right now, it's on the speaker somewhere, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, like that's that's the thing, right? Like, you know, I don't have that passion for cars. Now I have the technology that could easily fuel it, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, like when I go after something, I like, I go in. And that's like why I think we're so, why our product looks the way it looks, why it works, how it does. You know, like even when I joined the watch industry at the beginning, I went to all the trade shows, the conferences, and I saw the way that people interacted. I, you know, you know, like water, you've been to the situation. I became like that. Then I started getting into crypto, realized I really wanted to create a product in this space, kind of like molded myself to how people in this industry move. And fortunately, I was able to understand and pick up on it, which does have, you know, quite a learning curve. But I see is like, you know, if you're going to try to build something or create something, got to be hyper passionate, like you have to take it to another level. And you know, if you want to do this, what we're doing for cars, or you want to do this for sneakers or trading cards, you have to study those markets and you have to see like how has there ever been similar situations to what are existing now in the past? You know, what creates value in that industry? Who are the major players? Like what currently exists? Who are the incumbents? What are they doing wrong? Where do the problems sit? And, you know, especially with technology, a lot of people like to build, you know, in crypto specifically too, a lot of companies have, you know, went insolvent or bankrupt over the last couple of years. Because in crypto, people like to build like, you know, hyper versions of something, or it's like, oh, like this exists on Ethereum, we're going to build the Solana version of it. And it's like, to make it faster and cheaper. And yeah, I'm like, what's for what? You know, it's like, what's the point of it? Like, it's, it's, um, it's really important that if you're going to build something, you're able to identify problems in that market because you've done your research and you've determined that that's like the, the, the route to go on because there's a purpose, right? Like you mentioned it, you, you got, you know, you felt the experience of buying a fake watch that you obviously overpaid for. You know that people don't know what the prices of watches are worth. People are scared to buy watches online. There are problems in the watch industry. People rip people off left and right. There's a widespread in market value and bottom cash value. And there's an opportunity to create a better world for all the incumbents and people that are in this space. And that's that's the route that we decided to take. You know, it's um in the blockchain and all the foo foo fafa, mainnet e all these terms that I'm throwing around, it's like it doesn't even matter. It's like uh, it's all under the hood, right? When I mean, you buy a car, nobody's like, "Don't have any pistons and the intake type." You know, they just say, "Oh, you're buying like a, you know, a 911 Carrera, like an Aero kit." Like it's just super simple. And then under the hood is where all the technology lies. Like we're using Riverside, right? Like which is a podcast software. They're not talking to us about like their the way that they kind of like parse the data and the way that they prioritize connection and sound and like all this crazy technology that they're using and like it's not what's important it's just it's it's a podcast software that's like what's cool about technology is like you know you just focus on the value you can provide let the technology be the technology and that's what we do on watches io with the blockchain and all that tech yeah just because 
I mean, for context, I'm filming this on Riverside. I remember uh, 20 editor was like, hey, stop using Zoom. This is like over a year ago. I'm like, there's something other than Zoom to use. Not everyone uses Zoom. <laughs> so, yeah. But he's like, oh, no, this is way better. He started giving me all the technicals. I'm like, yeah. we're just going to use Riverside because it's better. Right. And then what I've even seen Riverside do in terms of their posting and their content is like just posting like relatable, funny stuff around podcasting. Like, I think the most recent post I saw that they put out was like 25 minutes in the host going, all right, so let's get into it. Like you're 25 minutes and you already yeah. have yes. <laughs> They're not posting. We upload simultaneously while they're filming and the resolution is higher and this and that. Like, does it look better or does it? Right. But that's something relatable and funny that I would send to another buddy of mine that has a podcast to be like, yeah, bro, I've probably done this too. It's just funny. It's relatable. Same for you. Uh, in a sense, that's kind of like the consumer behavior. That's the, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of products that have incredible technology that like people don't use, but for example, like, you know, sometimes the simple stuff does it best, right? Like think about how much, uh, like iMessage, 99% of what you do on, you have an iPhone, I'm assuming 99% of what you do on iMessage is just literally typing enter wait message comes in type enter boom 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 apple is building out all these crazy features dude there's telegram there's whatsapp there's snapchat there's all these crazy products and there's all these cool features that can come between peer-to-peer messaging but like 99 percent of what you do in messaging is just write to people and just uh it's it's crazy like you could do whatever you like they can build you know i could probably send you nfts of like Bank state. I don't even know what you an iMessage, but it doesn't matter because what you really just want to do is send messages, you know? Yeah. I'm curious, being down there in Miami, being in the industry that you're in, um, and then one of our mutual buddies connected us for you to come on the show. Shout out to uh, our boy, Casey. Uh, how do you know Casey, by the way? We just got connected through social media and like talking in the DMs and, you know, he's always smiling. He's into fitness and we just connected. He's a, he's a happy guy. I was... I just had him on the, the show the other day. I remember him speaking on stage when he was like nine years old. So it's been cool to see him uh, as, a, as a special guy. He's a, he's a great dude. Love everything he has going on. But on your IG, uh, you got some cool people on here. You got some big athletes, celebrities. Who are some cool people that you've met over the years? I'm sure many, but like, like I don't really get too, you know, caught up in, you know, athletes and celebrities. But yeah, there's like, you know, there's like 10 people you're like, fuck, that's you, right? You know, some of those people, I'm kind of curious to hear uh, how this business of yours and the environment that you're in has led to some cool stories and cool opportunities. Yeah, I think what I do want to point out before I like name drop some celebrity, I think the coolest thing about being in Miami and, you know, in the mix, let's just say, is being able to meet somebody and build a connection with them and then see them get to that status, right? Like Miami is the type of place where I have friends that maybe had no followers or some small following, whatever, like normal, let's just say normal. And like now they're popping, they're lit, you know? Like a lot of watch dealers are just taken off or, you know, people that are photographers that started off small, became big. And I think that is like super way cooler and kind of seeing like what they do and how they've got to that status. But um, who has been like uh, 
a really, really cool person to kind of meet. Now I got to like go through my Instagram and see. Now, now you're going to get called out if you're like, bro, I wasn't on the list. Well, I see your boys with uh, Michael, which does some uh, work with like easy way and better and stuff. Uh, I met him through a mutual friend down in Miami, like super brief in person. I'm obviously from Ohio, right? So I always have respect for the Paul brothers. Yeah. But- so Joey Levy, the founder of Better, was actually, we, we went to the same elementary school. So we've known each other since, like, you know, we we're like little, little, like five, six years old. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's been a while since I connected with him. But he, I mean, dude, like even as a kid, he was like, like leagues ahead, you know, like he is sharp. He's sharp. Like, it doesn't blow my mind that he's like running it like whatsoever. Yeah. When I, cause again, love or hate him. I don't really care about people's opinion. Uh, but the Paul brothers, right. Just seeing what they've done. And again, being from Ohio, there's like that Ohio pride and, and all that. It's cool to see their evolution and, and leveraging social media and, and just shows the direct value of the creator economy. Um, but then when I had met Michael briefly through a mutual friend where we I grabbing lunch one day, uh, he was super nice. And, you know, he had to kind of mention the, the slight structure. Then obviously me checking out their social media page. I'm like, oh, this Joey guy, he's like, he's not behind the scenes, but he's behind the scenes. And just looking at a photo, I'm like, he kind of looks like he's a, a business mastermind. So that's cool. To answer it. your question, and I scrolled through my Instagram, I think I know one of the cooler experiences I had, which was basically uh, a buddy has a company, really cool tech company. He's really tight with Mellow Ball, the basketball player. There's one day I'm in LA and he's like, yo, Mellow's coming through. And I had uh, I had rented this car and I was just hanging out in the driveway at my friend's place taking the call. And next thing you know, it was like convertible. It was, uh, it was like a, a little baby blue Porsche. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting in the front seat. And like, I look and, <laughs> and then it's like six foot whatever is like mellow ball. He's like, yo, what's up? Did it come? I'm like, what up, man? And he's just like, I remember he had like his headphones on his neck and, and there are those music headphones. And, um, he was just like blasting like little baby. And, um, we just, uh, we like rode out to some meeting with my buddy and I was younger at the time. So I was kind of just like taking it all in. And we went to Malibu and this brand was basically pitching mellow on, you know, basically like a full brand that they were going to do for him. And I was, uh, I was just able to like hang out with him the entire time, seeing like how a basketball player, and this was like right around the time when he was getting drafted and he was first pick, I believe, or second pick in the draft. So he was like, you know, the top of the town. Yeah. A lot of hype around him. I mean, still, but a lot of hype around. Yeah. 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 No. And, 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 and dude is like the man, like super humble, friendly, happy-go-lucky and you know it was cool to see him getting pitched and being like 21 22 years old and seeing how he responded to everything i remember too the place that we were at in malibu was actually a house now i'm gonna be getting this wrong and it might bite me or like maybe it was where marilyn monroe and one of the kennedys jfk yeah did it oh yeah oh at some point oh yeah, and 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 that was and that was in the roof and the in the top room of this house, and uh, it was a really cool place. But then after this meeting, my friend's like, "Yo, I need to go home urgently. Can you uh, take my car?" He gave me like the keys to his Range Rover, just threw it, 
He's like, let me take the Porsche. I need to go home, but you need to take home Mellow. So I'm like, yo, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, I guess I'm driving like, you know, the number one <laughs> picking the NBA draft all the way to Chino Hills. So Malibu <laughs> on the beach all the way to Chino Hills was like a two hour drive, LA traffic. You know how it is. Literally like for two hours, I'm just like him, his agent or his manager at the time, one of his buddies. And yo, we're just rapping the whole entire car ride, like listening to music, chilling, hanging out, whatever. And then, um, they give you the pass. The, they, they, they brought me to, uh, we, we ended up getting to his house, the big baller mansion. Yeah. The dad blanking on his name at the moment character, like got to meet him as well and see the dogs. And it was, uh, it was like one of those days where like when it was all over, I like wrote in my group chat with my friends. I was like, you, you guys don't even understand what just happened. <laughs> you know, like, cause it started with me on a phone call out of nowhere. And then it just turned into like, you know, a seven hour excursion where you're just like, this is crazy. You know? Yeah. You like blinking. You're on the next episode with LeVar Balls screaming at you for no That's reason. That's who it was. Man, when I walked in, his hand was freaking deep into a brand of, dun- of uh, uh, butter bread. Like, he was in there eating bread. Like, just straight up butter bread. I remember, his hand was in it. He was standing up because I had to use the bathroom. He was like, hey, right, right over there. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. That, that's, I mean, that's crazy because you can tell. Uh, I don't think at first, but then people that were like, oh, no dad is genius and he sees the power of brand and he sees how being a loudmouth is actually going to help his kids in reality he's probably giving them very good life lessons behind the scenes right and or you know on the show i know i can't really speak too much about the whole situation but sure could he have went number one or whatever he went top three in the draft sure off pure talent didn't having massive exposure to building a brand oh without a doubt Without a doubt. He might have not even been uh, internationally known family. Whatever they did worked. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like in a weird way, like a different circumstance, but it's just like Andrew Tate as well. Like how crazy your chick can blow up. He's hilarious. He, and he's on the money. Uh, he, like some of the stuff he says, I mean, of course, there's the side of it that's like super controversial. And I understand that half the people I hear this are like rolling their eyes, but like some of the stuff he says, you know, like, just, he's like on the money. Yeah, if his only intention was for people to know him, which to an extent, you know, that's really all that sometimes matters in terms of marketing and getting eyeballs. You're like, well, um, I think you figured it out, dude. Yeah, there's, there's a different okay. energy around him. You could tell. Like, he, he like, his, like, thought processes, how he just points out things that are, like, really obvious sometimes, like, He's a, he's a genius. Yeah. It's like those things where you're like, well, I knew that. But like, oh, he articulated it or he was just so assertive with it. And just his overall persona. He's funny too. Cause like, for example, he could like the way he, his voice and his demeanor, like, he'd be like, of course, if you're going to eat French fries, you're going to be fucking fat. And it's like, even though he just said, like, if you eat French fries, you're going to be fat. Like the way he said it, like it hits you different. You know, it's like, it's like, he's so right. If you eat French fries, you're going to be fat. Man. Oh, dude, that's fucking really great. That one's out. Okay. <laughs> Go to fucking statue. Here we go. But no, yeah, I, I definitely, there's the whole 4D chess play to it as well, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, what else, man? What else do you have going on? You, uh, 
you're, you're chilling in Miami. Uh, well, I'm actually curious because I'm a, I'm a part-time hater of Miami and I have my reasons why. Here, uh, not the only one. Yeah, it just, I, uh, I won't share too much on here, uh, but just previous ventures and individuals and, and, and whatnot. Um, but also, to, I guess to just be transparent as well, like there's a lot going on, man. There's, there's the cars, there's the money, there's the honking, there's the watches, there's uh, the plastic tits. There's, there's a lot going on, right? And, and butts too and cheeks and eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm curious because like anything, right, you can be consumed with it or it's not all of you. It's just a part of you. And I totally get like, it's like Wall Street exploding times 10 down there. Like it's a different world. And keep in mind, dude, I haven't been down there for, shit, it might be coming up on a year, but I was down there often from like 2020 to 2023. I was down there often, like yeah. often, often, often. And uh, the last time I was down there, February of actually last year, just had this really weird feeling down there. And for many reasons, but it's like, oh, I need to get out of this place, right? And that's my own situation. My yeah, own. Miami, Miami definitely has, you know, the vices and it has, you know, negative elements you got to cut through um, to be able to enjoy it. What, uh, you know, for example, you have a lot of social pressure. Um, and I'm sure this is definitely like an off podcast conversation that we can go into deeply, you know, but it's, uh, there's a lot of fake there's 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 a lot of like you know superficial people are looking for specific things or it's like they have a very short-term mindset what i like about my manager but you're like yeah there's not many malintentions just people are in different phases of their life you know like if you're uh if you're in this type of phase and you're trying to accomplish specific short-term goals miami can be very great but if you're trying to you know think long term and you're trying to you know do things the right way that's like morally correct, ethically correct, healthy for your body and you, it might be a tougher place. And uh, what what I do like about Miami though is, you know, for one, I'm a big believer in like, you know, you gotta look after yourself and you gotta look out for yourself. You have, you know, a healthy lifestyle down here. I go up North to go visit family sometimes, like, you know, in Michigan, I can't find a health food you know, within miles, right? Everything's just like, you know, fast food. Like that's just a culture. People are like, you know, just like, yeah, you go to Miami. It's like, you have all these like healthy, progressive restaurants. You have sunlight kicking every single day. You're in the sun. You're able to, you know, go get some, you know, time at the beach. You're able to touch some sand. There's like a, Miami is a workout area all on the beach on South beach. You have, you know, people that are on vacation that are just exuberating and relaxed energy. You know, you're in Brickle, everybody's like freaking AirPods, which are horrible for you, but like AirPods, like walking around, like, like looking like robots. Then you go into like South and Mid Beach and people are just like hanging out, like they're here for the weekend. They're saying what's up to everybody. You have this like melting pot of culture and, you know, kind of just goes into it as well. Like I'm from here. And I've just always been around here. So I'm very used to it. And I kind of know the vibes of everywhere. So for me, it's um, it's just all I know, you know, like Miami's just 
like I, I can't imagine living anywhere else in the United States. Like I would live other places in the world. You know, I had a stint in Asia for a bit. Like I always travel for several weeks to months every year. And uh, there's other places, but Miami for the United States, at least is my favorite. Yes. And uh, the reasons that I bring up is again, offline. We can yeah. Get deeper on, but at the same time though, as you're saying that it's like, oh yeah, this spot, this spot, this spot, this spot. It's also why a lot of other areas around Miami has exploded as well and tax benefits and holy cow, the list goes on as to why. Didn't, didn't get into that, but yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Just wealthiest people in the world are down there. It's, it's absolutely insane to see what's going on. But to, how do you get out of your own way and make sure that people don't get in your way? Like, are you doing certain things in terms of, obviously, you know, you're going to the gym, you're eating healthy, you're taking care of yourself, but are you, because I'm big on nature as well. Like I love, uh, you know, here in Ohio, there's an area called Hawking Hills. It's, if I'm not mistaken, at one point and or maybe still one of the most traveled, if not the most traveled place on Airbnb. And it's where Ohio University is. So it's just like a small college town that's turned into like an oasis for cabins and nature and, and whatnot. So I think we're seeing this like weird mix. Well, you have like this Miami of America, like Miami and Austin, Texas, where like you're seeing these, but then it's like the, Mm, get me away from everyone. Let me tuck away. Let me be off grid. Uh, are you doing anything? Yeah, I got it. I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm, I'm unique. I have a weird personality the way I do things. Like I, I definitely, you know, make sure that I get my steps in, I get my fitness in, like whether it's a workout or a run, like I'm very on top of like the, meaning the, the daily minimums. And I hold myself to that. Um, but I'm a little different. Like for me, I'm very, like I have, I'm very like you know max, like like all all or nothing. For example, I can genuinely show up to my office at seven thirty a.m., leave at eleven thirty p.m., and do that for like four weeks straight. Maybe go to for like a run, walk for like thirty minutes. Let's just say in between that, but I can do that for like four weeks straight and just go like month mode on something. But then, for example, like, you know, then there'll be a four week period where the only thing on my mind is like, you know, socializing or other things. And for example, like, it's almost impossible to get me to work. Like, I, um, I vacillate between both. I'm not one of those people that can like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, do this. Then Wednesday, I'm going to, you know, relax. And like Thursday, Friday, I'll pick it back up. And a lot of the people that I work with, like my team, and that's the reason why we work so well together, like, you know, they're a little bit more of the, they, they, they know how to find balance a lot better than I do. Some of the guys on my team, like, aren't as good at finding, ba I, I have no balance. I have zero balance as a person. Um, and for better, for worse, it has its upsides, has its downsides, you know, like I, I'm the type to like get invited to a friend's wedding and just like. And it's freaking like, how on earth could I like not find it important to go? But like, I just, I'll be like, Hey, I can't make it. And like, I won't feel any sort of way towards that. But then after like a month later will go by and I'll be in one of those modes where like, I just want to be with friends and family and I want to feel good. And I'm just like, damn, like, I really should have went to that. Like sure the time I was just like in this mode. So for me, I guess I just do my own thing and like. It's just how it's always been. Like, I'm very, because like, you know, I mean, we've just been chatting for a bit, but like when I have my, uh, my goal set, 
And when I have my vision aligned and I'm taking care of myself to kind of like accomplish those goals, like when I sink my teeth in, like I go all the fuck in, like I go all in and I don't get distracted. I don't lose focus. I don't let anything get in my way because like, that's just how I am. So it's, um, like if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And sometimes I hold myself to that and I hold myself to a standard that's like unbearably high to maintain. But, um, and it, that's, that's kind of like what it spills into is this like focus element that allows for me to very naturally keep distractions and BS out of my, out of my, you know, front facing mirror. Yeah. And if you get out of this, are you trying to get on more podcast shows and, and get your name out there more and, and, uh, you know, get watches.io? You know, definitely. Um, this is one of the first podcasts I've done where we've spoken a lot about the business and the psychology behind how I'm building the industry and how I see things, which I actually really appreciate. I, uh, I genuinely like talking a lot about the kind of like the backstory of like what it took to get to where you are. You know, I like to usually hear, um, from the podcast post as well. Like, like we didn't really get too much into like your past, but we could also run another one and, you know, reverse roles. Um, but I like kind of like finding commonalities amongst what people, what sacrifices and what risks you had to take to kind of like get to where you are. Cause like, you know, I'm assuming you don't work at a corporate job doing some sort of like corporate work, like for somebody that tells you what to do, you know, like you're, you're probably chasing your dreams in one shape or way, right? would be fired the first day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could already tell. And well, it's like, but that didn't just happen yesterday, right? Like something about you is different, whether it was something in your childhood, whether it's an experience at school, whether it was like an aha moment. And I like kind of like, you know, like unpacking that and double clicking into that conversation. So that's, that's what I find joy in, in podcasts. But then, you know, we also need to get users to watch as IO. So the more viral, the better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what this uh, this show is all about, all for nothing. Because I named it that. I was in the middle of uh, well, I had gone through my third ayahuasca journey, and I was sitting there and contemplating. And I could feel that a lot of things I was doing felt for nothing, and I felt that most people live their life with nothing to show for it. Right? They have all this regret, whether it's working a job, whether it's building a business, whether it's a business with a partner and they end up screwing you over or some nonsense, or they put money in a retirement account. People are working their ass off, right? I, I think I think pretty much most people, man, I think a lot of people know actually how to work hard, right? And and think about working so freaking hard and you're showing up every day and you're still paycheck to paycheck. Right. And so that's kind of the mentality around the name of the podcast show and the the barriers I wanted to break and wanted the guests to kind of share in the show. And however I get that out of them, whether it's uh, an hour and 21 minutes in, whether it's the first minute is what are we doing to ensure that we're not doing it all for nothing, right? What are we doing to end the victim mentality? What are we doing to be able to turn the pain points into passion? What are we doing to throw the gas on the fire and ignite that fire even more? Uh, Versus most of the time adversity, uh, it's like water getting thrown on the fire, right? It's circumstances, it's that trauma that whatever you're dealt with uh, kind of makes that flame go out. And then one day, how the hell do I have this job? Right, which, hey, having a job is great. 
but do you have anything to actually show for it? Or if you do come from money, which I do not, but that's a lot of pressure too. You get all these things handed to you, but most of the time it returns back to nothing within the second generation, about 70% of the time it returns back to poverty, right? So it's funny, most people are living paycheck to paycheck and then those that are not and or get a trust fund from their parents, most of the time it goes back to poverty. I think it comes back to victim mentality. It comes back to people's story. It comes back to people's trauma. It comes back to understanding what they do, why they do it, and if they ultimately know who they are. So I'm down to unpack it right now. I'm down for you to share a little bit of that backstory because for those uh, listening in, then, you know, you're, you were born in London. It seems like, if I had to assume, which, you know, you can share and elaborate, it sounded like you had a pretty successful family and parents. So people listening in could potentially think like, oh, well, maybe he has the ability to take this risk because he knew in the back of his mind he would always have money from his parents or he had connections in this space. Like, how did you get into watches? Well, maybe his dad was rich and, and gave him a watch or, you know, whatever that, that assumption may be. A hundred percent. No. Um, so I would say corporate, corporate father, um, you know, like we're always had the job and him and I go back and forth because he's like, I love the corporate lifestyle. Now he's entrepreneurial. Um, but you know, I would say middle raised, you know, there's never like, Hey, where's the food coming from or, or when's it coming? Knocked on wood. Thank God. It was never like, yo, we're going to Dubai for like the next, like, you know, um, but, uh, damn, your parents suck, man. Yeah. Horrible. Right. How, how could they do that to me? But, <laughs> um, but you know, for example, like my dad who works really hard, um, is a first generation, you know, kind of like go getter and hat came from nothing streets of Detroit hood. So he always instilled that, like, you got to work and you got to, you know, you got to kind of like, you always have to get good grades. You always have to figure out a way to make money. You got to kind of have both of those together. And um, did you play sports growing up? I trained jujitsu a bit. And then, uh, yeah, used to do the fighting um, pretty aggressively. And then uh, basketball. I used to love playing basketball, but never was like, you know, I'm 5'8". Like, I'm not. I was never like, I did it. Yeah. You're not Spud Webb. I'm, I'm, uh, you're short, huh? 5'8". I'm. I got you beat. I'm five seven. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. I look tall as fuck. Yeah, no, I mean, so we're we're the same, you know. Like when it's all said and done, it's just who's got what? bigger excuse. <laughs> that's right. My girl will complain, but she's also asleep, so you know, that's a that's a different size. But yeah, you know, I mean, everybody's the same when they're horizontal. So. <laughs> oh, um, well, that's funny. Yeah, but then uh, I think it was really for me, kind of like. I, I I have a bachelor's and master's in accounting and I was never really passionate about about it. Right. And, you know, what's funny is like I remember and this will always stick out to me, but like I did not want to be an accounting uh, major. Like I was having a really tough time in school with like the amount of studying I was doing. Like I, re I wasn't connecting with it, but I was it watches. I remember really my dad one day was like, he was like, remember when I was your basketball coach for a semester or like whatever, like, like a, a season. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, why do you think I was your basketball coach? I'm like, why? Because I didn't have a fucking job. Like I, I I was out of work and it was tough and I had the free time. And I'm like, 
oh, true. Like it didn't even dawn on me. And he never shared that with me when I was a kid. And he's like, you need to realize that you never want to be in that position. Like you need to have a fallback. You need to have money coming in. And this accounting career that you're going after is going to guarantee you that. And, you know, I'm in college. So I obviously like, you know, was like, all right, like, 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 you know, you won that one dad, like I'm going to continue studying. Like, you know, thank you for the, the, the rally talk, whatever. Or then I continued and graduated, but then, you know, I, uh, I moved to New York. I started working in accounting and I was, uh, I was like really, I was like miserable. Um, I was really upset. And at the same time, while I'm working in accounting, like crazy hours, really upset doing clerical work, my parents got divorced and I was like, damn, like family's falling apart, career's falling apart. Like I'm not happy, like got to make a change. And fortunately, uh, my buddy from growing up had this opportunity with this company that he just started. He was like, basically it wasn't like he was like, Hey, like come take this and, you know, be like our first employee kind of vibe. It was more like, yo, I'm going to figure out my way to be your first employee and we're going to make this happen. And, um, I, 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 I quit the accounting route. That situation happened where I got very lucky with a deal. I closed immediately came back down to Miami, rented an apartment with that cash that I just made and just like got off the ground and then just like hustled harder than I ever hustled in my entire life and, you know, built a life for myself. And basically from that point, I learned a couple of things like one, you know, the biggest risk is not taking the risk. Like the, like the, like what risk was I cover like by making money in accounting, being miserable, watching life go by, what was I benefiting or what was I getting from that? I was just missing out. Like even to, to get to where I am now, like there's been times where I've, you know, I rented apartments and lived with randoms that are the cheapest spots in the entire, like New York city. I literally remember I was finding what is the cheapest bedroom I can find in the Island of Manhattan and live there. It was with like four random roommates in a room that nobody ever like, it was like upstairs, crooked, whatever. And then it, there, there's other times I had not to go into, but like there's, um, there's been like these hiccups that I've had, but I've just realized like, you just gotta like, like go forward, like fuck the bullshit. I think you already nailed it on the head, but like, there's no victim mentality. You're super fortunate. The fact that you're breathing, you, the fact that I have Fortunately, both parents are alive. You know, the fact that I'm able to figure out that I have a bottle of water in front of me, like, you know, like what 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 more could you ask for in terms of like a tool set? And just adopted this mindset that like I'm just gonna go after whatever I want. And it it it's something that like, you know, it causes friction because obviously, you know, I'm one of those people that can't be caged in and can't be told what to do, but also like that also is the secret to finding your passion and happiness, et cetera. Like that is what is, that's what's needed to, um, like you just have to have that mindset. And I adopted that ever since, like when I, when I left New York and I left accounting to go do this, like, dude, I'm trying to create like virtual watch ownership, you know, like London. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that. One thing you mentioned, you had stopped yourself from other hiccups. What were some other hiccups? Was it just like habits uh, or vices or things that you were 
there's just been there's uh there there's just been like ups and downs in terms of for one just like the age I'm at and with financial situation with being in crypto that's been like really tough you know there's been some like down days to say the least and down periods but it's funny because like I actually I talk with one of my buddies about this all the time like on my Instagram right I'm a big believer in social media being used as a business tool and if you go on my Instagram right now there's not a single down day in sight like it is just pure fucking flex right and uh, you're being me too, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, man. man. You want to see the diamonds, you want to see the girls, the views, the boats, the, the food. But like I almost like never will post if there's like a six month window where, you know, things are dark or periods of time where I've, you know, been sleeping on a floor. Like I've just I've had some I've had some tough times over the last five to ten years. And it's um but it's uh it's all part of the journey and i think i just kind of uh i'm one of those people too that keeps them to myself i, I think like putting your pro like it's one thing to to have problems in tough times but it's another thing to also like kind of put it on to other people and i'm one of those believers that if you're going through something tough like there's only one person who can sort it out and there's only one person that can kind of like put one foot forward and that's you and it goes into what you're saying, you know, it's just like persevere. Yeah. And I, I don't think any of us know the right answer because you get some people that are like, no, talk about the problems in real time, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to talk through the, the financial stresses. It's hard to talk about that because we want to talk about the only good. And then also there's a real aspect to like, no, they're saying it because I think what you're saying is, which is what I believe in and, and, and part of like the victim mentality is I feel like I see, and it could be completely wrong, but obviously it could just be me, you know, uh, looking into it too deep or thinking about it too deep. Sometimes you'll see people post and you're just like, you're being a victim, bitch. Why, why are you posting that? What's your intention around posting that? So you can get, uh, like they're leveraging that, right? But then other, the other part could be true. It's like, no, they're just sharing the real stuff. Uh, and who am I to say that they can't share that, right? Like, What's so bad about sharing that? Um, but I think that's the unique space. That's what I've been really thinking through. This is why, like, this is one of the many reasons why I started a podcast show because I'm like, nope, we're going to go long. We're going to go deep in conversation. I don't know exactly where we're going to start. And because I think this is what the world needs, we're seeing it. There's millions of podcast shows and millions of more are going on the, like, coming on the way. But there's a reason around the statistics why most of them fail, most of them stop, uh, you know, niche down, do this, do that. And I talk about this damn near every single show. Like, this is what it's about. And, and it's just also cool to probably reflect back. And man, during that time, I was all about this part of season life. And then it's kind of cool. It's like when you were 18 years old and how you used to think about things or, you know, even a year ago, it's cool and unique or to even see patterns of like good beliefs or good values that you had or like, no, you were totally right about that. Right. Or, hey, no, I just evolved and don't really think that right now in life based on my circumstances. But the point I'm getting at is uh, specifically with social media, it's I was like, no, I don't need to share. Right. Because it's easier to share the scars and how we rose. Right. And we rose from it. But when that fucking wound is still open and you got a fucking cloth over it. Right. That's a unique one to talk about. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you just know, like, 
do I talk about this? And and what are people going to think of me? And no, no, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I'm not there. I'd rather not talk about the like, I mean, there's been several different things and I don't really, I don't like talking about them. I'm one of those. But also, I think you also mentioned something that um, I found in, like, I've never had one of those uh, like deep drug, like the ayahuasca. I've never done anything too funky, you know? So I've never really been able to tap into that level of clarity that you've probably had or those experiences to kind of maybe even feel open. Like I'm holding those, those things, you know, those not, and it's not that to be honest, like I have a great mental state of where I'm at. I'm like super happy with like the trajectory and how I feel and like my body and my happiness. Like I'm very, very fortunate, like seriously am, but I'm not one of those people that can like, you know, sit here and like publicly, especially with this podcast, which millions of people are going to watch at some point, like, you know, just go into like the dark times. I'm like one of those people that's like very kind of like packaged up with that stuff. And maybe over time, I'll get more open to sharing it, you know? Bro, you have to come do a, do a retreat with me sometime. Uh, and I ain't here to teach you anything. You, you I, see, that's it though. Like it's, that's what, at least what I've learned. And that's one thing that, uh, I haven't really shared this, but I've gone on retreats and whatnot and I want to start quote unquote hosting them myself. And I joke about it, but I want to do it in a way where I've gone in the jungle for like seven days and like your complete cut off of like, you know, things. And that's great. There's, there's tons of beauties of that. Right. And then you kind of just, oh yeah, this is where you see the problems are. Right. Eh, you're drinking too much caffeine. You're on your phone too much. Day four, you're like, oh man, where's Pornhub at? Can't connect that out here. Right. Like whatever that vice may be. Whereas for me, I'm like, mm, I want something that feels less uh i think you could say fearful right like i want that uh joke about it it's like that ritz carlton retreat (laughs) like it's like we're entrepreneurs like you and me that like i'm dragging this dude out of Miami. i know what Miami comes right and i know he has a business and i know he don't think i know but i know the blind spots right i know those things and it's not that i'm gonna help solve him that he's gonna figure out himself i'm just gonna try to help put him in the environment where when you're working with medicine and you're working with the, the tools from nature, right? Ayahuasca, shrimp, stuff like that. For me, it's an idea of uh, how can you just also have fun, right? That's one thing I've recognized in the, the journey of using those different tools is sometimes you get a little too caught up in trying to like solve the trauma or releasing and this and that's like, I mean, if I can go there with the mindset that I know I can trust Tyler and I know he's not going to let anyone here that I want to really vibe with and or he knows how to control that environment and be like, eh, hold up, where I can just let go and be free. I think people need that more than ever, specifically men, specifically young men like us that have massive visions that, uh, you know, will listen to a guy like me say these things and be like, well, I don't need, like, sure, I'm not not saying people do, right? This is just what's helped me. Uh, And if you're curious, right? Like if people are curious, to be like, hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I'm one of those people that's like kind of like not about the drugs, but everything that you just mentioned, like I agree with. Like I, I personally could use one of those like, you know, open up your mind, relax style. Man, I can't even tell you the last time I took like 
four days off, you know, like, and, and just, and just like, but, but, but not four days off and like, you know, uh, it's like half work or you're traveling, doing business meetings, like four days, OSS, like Austin grid. And it's weird, bro. Cause I know, I know the people in your backyard. Like I know some people back there that like got bread. And so I know what you're seeing on Instagram and I, and I, and trust me, I am not saying that what they're posting is bad or what they're putting out there for me in my stage of life in this season of life. I'm like, oh man. And usually if it infuriates somebody, it's usually like envy or comparison or whatever. It's like, nah, man, like if that's what, if that's what works for you, cool. So essentially what I'm saying, I know the environment that you're in, which is like, it's a fine line. It's the perfect harmony, right? It's a double-edged sword. Like stress is good because stress is the bark on a tree. It makes that fucking tree grow stronger roots. And when that wind comes, motherfucker, this bark and this stress that's been built up and this scar tissue, you ain't, you ain't knocking me down. But then also saying stress leads to cancer, leads to all these other things that's ultimately your, your demise or downfall. And so it's just trying to find that that in-between ground where you walk out and you see a Rolls Royce every day. It's like, fuck, that's a whole, you're looking at watches every day and this idea and this and that. Uh, it can be sometimes a, a race that you're running somebody else's or it's a wicked race that I like to call it pretty exhausting. Whereas, yeah, but when's the last time you took four days off? And guess what? Harder to digest this pill. Every single trip I've gone on, which is very, very, very few, from a personal standpoint, most of them, they're still business involved 99.9% of the time. But this is one of the weird things I tell people is like, and, and saying this, telling myself, like, if you take a trip for yourself, you fucking immediately know where your business is broken as well. That's true. You know? Like when I do have those windows of opportunity, like, for example, like, I think we all can agree, like a long flight, like when you're, when I go to the Middle East and I have like that 12 hour flight and I'm just, you can't really use your phone and you're just like, focused in you can think i think about it i come off those flights i'm like taking notes and like i have this whole new vision and uh i agree man there's something there and like you, you definitely um you're definitely like you're on the money i appreciate it man i appreciate it and i can't i can't do the show without great guests like yourself thanks for having me i appreciate it it's been great we'll do it again bro we'll do it again oh when i'm ready to get stressed and anxious I'll come down to Miami. We'll do it in person. Oh, if you're ready to decompress, uh, bring you up here to yeah, got to do the next one in person, man. Like I would love to, I would love to. It's, uh, now, now we have our office, the vault in the diamond district in Miami. So like when you're here, there's some like cool shit to show you. We can bring the cameras, you know, like have all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's been real. It's been real. Well, let's let's wrap this up, man. I'm mindful of your time. And how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can the audience? Um, any last thoughts that you have, or you know, want to plug in your stuff again? Yeah, I I love uh, I love helping people out. Like I genuinely, um, I feel satisfaction and happiness from that. So if anybody's like inspired by anything I said and wants to just chop it up in DMs or you know set up a call to talk about things definitely open to. And I think also, you know, got to do like the shameless plug watches. I O at Jake Potter on Instagram watches on Instagram. You got uh, some merch too there, right? You guys got some, you know, we have hats that are available for sale. We're working on these t-shirts. We're also going to be doing some embedded technology on our next clothing, uh, releases, which is going to be cool. Um, 
some some like uh sharing the secrets of what's up next but uh yeah like uh at the same time too like just listen to the podcast enjoy it and you know if you're not into watches fuck it like who cares let me check out the website like just uh live your life and enjoy <laughs> and then episode two we'll we'll uh we'll make sure you guys click the fucking website how about that <laughs> yeah we'll do a screen share <laughs> yeah dude i love it man i appreciate it and uh we'll see you guys in the next episode <laughs>